Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. Welcome to Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So we should reintroduce ourselves, Connor, uh, for folks who are new to the program. Too we many. have so many view- new listeners every single pod. We have to do it. Yep, that's true. So Too Many Lawyers, what the heck does that refer to? Right. We started out being really clever. We said, it's called Too Many Lawyers, T-W-A. Because there's still us. Get it? Wink, wink. Yeah. Nobody got it. No. Well, I mean, it's just hard to spell things. Millions so. of people complained to, to the interweb. We yeah. can't find Connor and Royal. Right. So now we changed it to T-O-O. So what is it? Too, too many lawyers. Well, from my perspective as a libertarian, Connor's a progressive. I don't get it. But uh, yeah, I think there are too many lawyers. Right. Because- In a general sense. In the world, yes. Yeah, definitely. My feeling on too many lawyers, and part of the reason I sign on to it as a, as a good uh, name for a podcast, is that we are too- uh, straight, cis, white lawyers uh, who are offering our opinions out into the world. And darn it, there's a lot of people doing that on podcasts, and there's just too darn many of us. But I actually think that we offer uh, some actual value to the podverse, to the podosphere, whatever you want to call it, because we are guys, two guys who are pretty diametrically opposed on some political issues. And yet, because we've lived, uh, you know, with each other uh, uh, in our, our entire family lives, we've developed the ability to actually have a real conversation about politics and social yeah, we can, issues. We can disagree without the rancor that you usually yeah, see. Yeah, and we actually, on this podcast, I think our, our best value add is that we translate that into a skill and can talk about how best to do that and how best to have a conversation in a way that's civil instead of shouty, which, uh, even though I do tend to <clears throat> get shouty. And sometimes we find common ground and for example, I, yes. I think probably 90% of, of the episodes, you've totally agreed with me at the end of the- Correct. It was kind of like a Perry, totally, Ma- exactly. Perry Mason It's ending. like my, every episode, I, I open my eyes to yeah. the truth. Maybe not. So what are we going to talk about today? Sexual orientation, discrimination banned from the face of the United States, not not the earth, unfortunately. Right. Uh, we're going to talk about how Four DACA- workers, yes. Right, in the employment setting. We're going to talk about how DACA survived the court test. The Supreme Court went for DACA as well. And we are going to reveal to you the world's stupidest microaggression. I, I love- <sighs> This candidate. It is absolutely the stupidest one. Okay. So let's talk about uh, sexual orientation. Really big uh, week out of the U.S. Supreme Court. Huge. And it's actually not even the last week in June. It, for me, it's like Christmas, you know, Christmas in July. They right. Say, Christmas the last week of June because that's when the U.S. Supreme Court, they look at the clock on the wall and they say, oh my goodness, Ruth. We're, we're going to be fishing up in Lake uh, Winnesoga or whatever. We got to get out of here July 1. They always bail for three months on July 1. And so the last week of June, there are these huge, festooned with big Supreme Court decisions. They're getting an early start mm-hmm. because it isn't the last week of June yet. But anyway, let's talk about the sexual orientation case. So way back in 1964, Congress passed uh, the Civil Rights Act, prohibiting discrimination because of sex, among other things, race and, and nationality and so on. Uh, recent years, there's been a debate over whether that law should be interpreted as banning discrimination based on sexual orientation. And should you stop people from being discriminated against because they're transgender? So the Supreme Court ruled on Monday, 
We're taping this on uh, Sunday, the 21st of June. Uh, Supreme Court ruled six to three that the law does, in fact, prohibit such discrimination. It's the liberal bloc, Ginsburg, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Stevens, plus Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Gorsuch, who wrote the majority opinion. Very closely watched decision because, you know, Justice Kennedy was the real leader on LGBT rights. He had written all four of the court's major gay rights decisions. Right. So Trump administration had argued against this saying, hey, you know, we don't like discrimination based on sexual orientation any more than the next guy. But doggone it, the language of the 64 law does not include discrimination against sexual orientation. It talks about discrimination because of sex. So Gorsuch says, well, no. Uh, I got some textual analysis for you right here. And textualism, he can, everyone's favorite. Yeah, yeah. He got it from Scalia, I guess. And the idea is I'm, I'm not going to make up laws like the liberals accuse us conservatives uh, or conservatives accuse liberals of doing. I am instead going to simply take a laser analysis of the text of the statute. And he concluded that, in fact, uh, the words because of sex do incorporate sexual orientation discrimination. I yeah. take it you're okay with that. Well, I'm okay with the outcome, certainly. Actually, <laughs> I, I'm going to, uh, I would say this is, this the reaction to this case by my friendly neighborhood liberals who are on board um, with the Supreme Court generally as an institution and feel like, oh, sometimes it comes through, you know, with the right answer. Um, I, I see a, a, a big danger. Obviously, it's great that we now have uh, LGBTQ protections uh, for workers um, against discrimination. They can't be fired as a result of their sexual orientation. Fantastic. Or their uh, their uh, identification. But the danger is with people saying things like, this is textualism done right or originalism <laughs> done right. right. Great job, Gorsuch, for using your ideology that you stick to as a conservative yeah, and what's finding wrong, what's wrong the with that? right result. Because the real problem is that textualism and originalism, which are often used interchangeably, not sometimes people draw a distinction, but they're basically the same thing. It basically says, look at the text of the word in the statute, in this case, sex, uh, as used in this law from the 70s, and say, when what did they mean when they said sex their original usage of the word sex at the time did they mean sexual orientation did they mean transgender identification of of, of gender mm -hmm. and it's pretty unequivocal that no, they they didn't. So and why shouldn't that be case closed? Trump administration wins. Because, because I mean, again, the issue here is an employer is sitting there and he's an idiot and right. he says. I fired her because she was a woman. Right. Now, is that discrimination because of sex? Yes. Yeah, okay. What if he sits there and he says, I fired him because he was gay? Right. Is that because of sex? Well, Gorsuch, Gorsuch goes through no. an yeah. analysis and, and ends up saying, yes, it is because right. of sex, because but for the gender of the person he's firing. Uh, or, for, you know, the third way to be stupid is, I fired her because she's changing her gender. But- I mean, as you were starting to develop, Connor, is there any doubt that back in 1964, when Because of Sex was written and passed by the Congress, that they included the traditional, I fired her because she was a woman, but they weren't thinking of sexual orientation or transgender discrimination? Let's take for granted that in the 60s that they weren't thinking about trans rights and trans issues, because you know, it's almost certainly true. Mm -hmm. And instead, think about uh, 
the fact that the textual, even the textual interpretation under Gorsuch's view is that the discrimination on the basis of sex could take it lots of forms. You could discriminate uh, against a woman on the basis of sex, say if she wore the wrong clothes that women aren't allowed to wear, or could she cut her hair in a way that women aren't allowed to cut their hair, or mm-hmm. that she acted in a way that women in the 60s weren't allowed uh, to act. Maybe she was uh, uh, sexually active outside of marriage or took birth control once that was uh, brought into the picture. But if you uh, fire somebody because they're promiscuous, whether it's a guy or a gal, that isn't discrimination because of sex. It's well, discrimination imagine, because of promiscuity. Imagine this. Imagine that you would be 100% okay with the the promiscuity, out, uh, just having sex outside of marriage or cutting her hair short or cussing or anything else you object to if she had been a man. But the ex- employer explicitly says- So it's double well, discrimination. It's what, discrimination against the promiscuous and against the female You can say it's, it's double dimi- uh, uh, discrimination. Or you could say it's really discrimination because the employer explicitly says, well, if she'd been a man, she could have done all she, anything she wanted. Smoke, drunk, sex, anything. I don't sin. I, it doesn't matter. I don't hold men to a standard at all. They can do whatever the heck they want. Right. But women have to be dainty and spe- That would be discrimination on the basis of sex. And that's basically what Gorsuch is saying here they care about the gender of the person so if you if you would fire somebody for having sex with men but you uh, because they are a man but you wouldn't fire a woman who was having sex with men then you're discriminating and the gay guy is being determinated the... because he's a man exactly. and therefore it's sex but is it really i mean isn't that so secondary the the sex the gender aspect almost to be coincidental i mean what if a, a guy is fired because mm-hmm. the boss says i fired you cuz you sleep with sheep right now is that because he's a man? No, it's because the boss is narrow-minded but about bestiality, the, but would, and the guy's gender has nothing to do with no, it. No, no, it's not, it not because it, the difference there is that there's no gender that the man would be okay with uh, a person having sex with sheep. Well, if it was a know. woman who was sex we, with we sheep, we don't he, know what the employer would say. But that's the question. That's oh, discrimination is based on intent. Why did this person choose to to discriminate against this person? If he said it was okay for women to f. Uh, have sex with sheep, uh, but it's not okay for men to have sex with sheep, then that's discrimination on the basis of sex. And is it weird that he would think that? Does anyone think that? No, but if he did, it would be discrimination on the basis. It's like trying to go inside a bigot's head and decide, well, it just doesn't make sense. That Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Nothing they do makes sense because talk they're bigots. A, talk about a bad neighborhood going inside a bigot's head. Yeah, no, it's not a good place what to What about live. this? Isn't, isn't it good evidence to, to take a look inside the head of the Congress folks who passed this in 1964. Well, if you're and, a liberal, and a two, filthy liberal who looks at you know congressional records and tries to decide what the debate was really about, but conservatives would never do that. Well, but then let's fast forward it. Isn't it okay to look at the fact that a lot of members of Congress for the last 15 or 20 years have tried very hard to amend the 64 Civil Rights Act to change it into something that Justice Gorsuch just this week said it was all along. I mean, it, why would they need to amend it to add sexual orientation discrimination? If it really meant that, what he says it meant, those amendments would not have been necessary. And that's not compelling to me because obviously racists or sexists or homophobes or transphobes would be interpreting a law wrong for decades trying to avoid the correct outcome, which is LGBTQ people have protection. The fact that there are bigots in places of power and they have not yet protected those marginalized groups until this point is not evidence of what the law, I think, uh, really is or means, even if you use a textual lens. And again, the textual lens is what grinds my gears, right? Let's have a what grinds Connor's gears. I know this whole podcast is a what grinds Connor's gears podcast, but look, 
textual interpretation is inherently regressive. You look backwards at the past and say, what did they think? What words did they use? What did those words mean at that point? That is That means that it is set up to always be fighting against any kind of progress in society because you're always going to be you know, held down and held back by what people thought in the past. So anything that changed inherently it opposes. And, you know, in a sense, and, and, and I feel it's a strong sense, textualism is something that conservative jurists cloak themselves in in order to gain the high ground and say, well, we, we're being objective. You're being subjective. We're not activists. You are activists. When really, they're just going to craft it. And this is a good example of the problem with that. You can craft it to get the result that is correct, as Gorsuch did in this situation, or you can craft it to get the result that's wrong, as Alito and Kavanaugh did in their terrible dissents. This is a, a tool that conservative jurists use to become elite and say we're better than you, but it's actually it's actually meaningless. It, it just kicks the can down the road. Let's use an example um, that Scalia used once, famous uh, sort of the or, or origin of textualism. In a 60 Minutes interview, he was asked about a uh, a cruel and unusual punishment uh, case, uh, and he he cited this in one of his cases uh, as well. Later, he said, "Well, cruel and unusual punishment um, and torture." These things have a fixed moral meaning. He's put to the, to the test because the interviewer says, look, we know more about torture than we did in the past. We know things that we didn't think were torture in the past. We actually are. They have really long-lasting bad effects. So how, what about the fact that the definitions of word, uh, the word torture, maybe didn't incorporate something in the, in the 1700s. But now we would say that's torture. So the word changed, so the law should be able to adapt to that. And Scalia said, well, that, that, that that's okay. Because torture and cruel and unusual punishment have this concept of a fixed moral meaning and we could just slot whatever you know new information we get into the fixed moral meaning of of cruel and unusual punishment but the, this problem obviously just is trying to address the reality of the shortcomings of textualism by kicking the can down the road and saying that I, in 2020, as a jurist, can decide what the fixed moral meaning of torture or cruel and unusual punishment is. And therefore, there is no inherent con content to the, the idea of textualism. If it is flexible in that way, it's flexible in every way, and I can abuse it uh, to get to whatever result so I want. So now we know that reading Justice Scalia's opinions is like pouring sand into Connor's gears. When exactly. we come back, we're going to figure out whether or not the Gorsuch decision was an example of judges making law. This is Too Many Lawyers. Stick with us. We are back with Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And before we get into it, I just want to remind you guys, uh, we are a podcast that is hosted on a bunch of different podcast platforms. And on each one of those podcast platforms, we need people to go in there and leave little reviews and say, I love it. Connor's amazing. Royal's good too. Uh, five stars or whatever on your local podcast, Stitcher or Apple, iTunes podcast, whatever you uh, use, Podcast Addict, to get our podcast. It would be great if you could uh, rate us and subscribe up and uh, that sort of thing. And and of course, get a tattoo, get a Too Many Lawyers tattoo if you could, hopefully on the face so you're like a walking billboard. Just just henna, right? Because we don't want any liability for, for bad decisions. I, mean, I guess. Yeah, henna's good. So, uh, gosh, here's a big question, Connor. Are judges making laws when they shouldn't mm, make laws? Yeah. They should instead, number one, decide who wins and who loses in the case. Number two, what does a statute mean? Number three, is a statute uh, unconstitutional? But they shouldn't actually make laws. So is the decision by Gorsuch of a few days ago 
saying that, yes, the 64 Civil Rights Act does let you sue for sexual uh, discrimination in the form of sexual orientation discrimination. Is that the end of the world? No, it can hardly be considered the end of the world for those of us, and I'm one of them, who welcome a rule banning discrimination based on sexual preference or transgender status. Right. And that's a good thing. The bad thing is that the law is supposed to be written by legislators, not judges. Yes. So a lot of people think, and obviously we've been talking over arguments as to whether this is valid or not, but a lot of people think that many times a liberal majority on a court sees what is right and good and true and just, and they accomplish it. They accomplish that go that end by some not so great means of sort of twisting the actual meaning of statutes. Here's my problem that I want you to think about. The next time a predominantly conservative court relies on a creative interpretation of, of the, the statute to justify a decision, essentially making law and changing what the Congress wrote, progressives ain't going to like that result. It all depends on whose ox is being gorsuched. Uh, That's pretty good. Well, I'm going to get a okay. Whose ox is being gorsuched? On, well, give me a five on that one. So let's say... Uh, God forbid, right. two of the justices on the Supreme Court who were in the liberal bloc were That's to die right. before Trump. Or retired. They just and retired somehow Mitch some McConnell reason. is Mr. Miracle Man, and he gets those two replaced, right. even though it's the last, Not gonna last few months. Uh, and, and so we've got a Trump majority in the United States Supreme Court basically for the next 40 years. Right. Would you want them to be making all sorts of creative decisions, not based on what the law actually says, but based on what they know to be right because of their You're conservative right. I would not like that. principles? I will say this. I'll say two things. One, that I think that's a, a red herring that conservatives use to, and I'll explain that's what I mean. ironic that you would call it a, a red, red herring. herring because that's the leftist. I'll explain why I think it's a red herring. And two, why you don't have to be worried about it, even if it were true. First, let's say... Uh, you don't even have to be worried about this because if you really worry that judges um, make laws and, and you think that the Congress is the one that should be making laws, instead, remember that the Congress can always still make laws and overturn it. We do not have the case in American politics where a judge overturns a law, then Congress immediately passes a new law, then the ju judges immediately overturn that law, then Congress passes a new law. It doesn't go back and forth ping pong like well, that. Well, it does in the sense that if Congress passes a, uh, a law... You, you theoretically could do that, but you don't see it. That's my point. Is So that because we don't see that outcome, we can actually rest assured until we do see that outcome that if a judge makes a bad activist decision that changes the law in a way that the people don't like, and we think that Congress actually functions, and that Congress can actually pass laws to make it make you know the world a better place, then Congress just will do that. So if you're one of the folks who says, well, the judges are breaking the system here, and they're taking on Congress's job, and Congress actually does its job, and you should let them do their job, then you don't have to worry about it, because they just can do it. Gosh darn it. But in reality, this is not the situation. Judges don't make law the vast, vast majority of the time. They're faced with incredibly difficult decisions, complicated decisions, where they have to interpret uh, laws and use a tool that was never meant to fit that task. Great example of that uh, was one of the key um, is one of the key uh, cases that you'll learn in any administrative law 101 class in any law school in the country, and that's the. Name of the energy company who's I can't remember Enron. because uh, it was years ago. No, it's it's one of the uh, the fossil fuel energy companies, not an energy trading company. And it was uh, it was in Massachusetts. And Massachusetts said, uh, "Well, this company um, is uh, damaging the environment and it's causing sea level rise, and uh, that is going to harm uh, 
the state of Massachusetts because we're going to lose the coast as the sea level rises and damages uh, our, our state. And the Supreme Court was faced with the difficult decision of, dis- of, of figuring out whether this environmental protection law created a private right of action uh, for, not private right of action, a state right of action uh, for the state of Massachusetts to protect itself and be able to sue. So the Supreme Court, in that case, as in many other cases, had to deal with the fact that this law was not written with climate change in mind. It was written, I believe, if I remember correctly, with like, you know, toxic oil spills right. in mind, right? But when you have a law that says something like environmental protection, that's a vague enough term that you might have to stick in a new concept like climate change. Well, Imagine you've got you know yeah. a new uh, chlorofluorocarbon or a new uh, you know toxin that you're belching out into the air or into our rivers or whatever else or the oceans, and you say, well, this is killing fish and people, and it's really bad, and it's turning the children well, what orange. What you're saying is true. That a lot of cases are really complicated, and statutes and may be ambiguous. Sure, they have to do that. But yeah. I mean, there are also a lot of simple and straightforward cases. I mean, what I'm talking about is the general principle that a court shouldn't put itself above the people and say, you know, I don't really think this is unconstitutional, but doggone it, I don't like it, so I'm going to say it's unconstitutional. If Congress passes a, a law and it it infringes on uh, free speech, if the law says Democrats shall not be able to free, speak freely, the U.S. Supreme Court strikes it down. If Congress passes a law that maybe isn't so clearly unconstitutional, right. but they strike it down because they really, really don't like the conduct that was uh, d- that was committed by the Congress, then that, to me, is, is what is bad. Oh, and you and I agree on that. I, I think that the concept in the abstract of a judge throwing his hands up or her hands up and saying, I don't care about constitutionality. I don't care about the Marbury versus Madison, the original case that said judges don't make law, they interpret the law, they determine the constitutionality of law, and therefore that's our job. And all these judges have been doing that forever since then, clarifying and, and, and interpreting law. I don't agree with that. I don't care about that. I'm an activist and I'm going to do whatever I think is the right thing to do. But remember that in every situation, the judge has to be thinking he's doing or she's doing the right thing I, to do. I knew we'd find common ground. And we do As on this. Absolutely. I just don't think that it is a real thing that there are judges out there being activists most of the time. And when they are being activists, it's my personal opinion that it's the conservatives doing it more often than the liberals. But it doesn't really matter because I don't think that it's actually, you know, the 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 worst uh, thing in the world that judges are saying. What I can, you know, come to the right conclusion here. Remember, as the the famous uh, lawyerly phrase out there is that um, bad facts make bad law, right? That the hard facts make sorry, bad hard law. facts mm-hmm. make bad law. Is that judges are faced with incredibly complicated, difficult decisions, and they frequently have to come up with uh, something that threads the needle and yeah. works in this scenario, but in another context doesn't. And the other fun expression is if you ha- if you have the uh, facts in your favor, uh, you pound the table on the facts. Mm-hmm. If the law is in your favor. Uh, you pound the law. If you, you have neither the facts of the law, you just pound the table. Yeah. When we come back, there was that second big decision out of the U.S. Supreme Court about the DACA situation. And the dreamers can say the long national nightmare is over. Yes. We're going to be back with too many lawyers. 
This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So the big uh, second uh, Supreme Court decision uh, this week uh, had to do with the Dreamer situation. And uh, uh, because I love the uh, Lone Ranger, uh, my childhood fascination with that show, I will say return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear, 2012, when President Obama implemented the DACA Dreamers rule. The right. Kids are brought to America illegally. It's not their fault. They had nothing to do with it. They're just little kids. Obama has said, hey, let's let them have not a pathway to citizenship, but if they keep their nose clean and don't go to jail, if they graduate from high school or go into the army, uh, then they can stay and work. And that's the DACA dreamers approach. So Trump comes along and he says, you know what? Uh, I actually kind of like this dreamers thing. It's just that, you know, the lawyers tell me Mr. Obama did not follow the rules because originally Obama had said, pass this DACA dreamers rule Congress, and they wouldn't. And he even commented repeatedly to his supporters, what am I going to do? I can't do anything. They won't pass it. And then all of a sudden he said, I've got a pen and I've got a cell phone and I've got an administrative regulation. I'm implementing it. So he created DACA on his own. So conservatives said, oh, you broke the rules, but they didn't really challenge it in court. So in it goes. Now Trump is president and he says, my lawyers say you broke the rules, so I am going to get rid of DACA because Obama didn't follow the rules. And that's what the U.S. Supreme Court decided a couple of days ago. They issued a decision in which they said, you know what? Trump blew it. He didn't follow the rules. You got to jump through hoops under the Administrative Procedure Act if you're going to get rid of a program like DACA. And he didn't do it. He had to justify his decision and he didn't give the satisfactory explanation. It's ironic to me, Connor, that these two big Supreme Court decisions this week on high profile emotional issues, sex discrimination, immigration, they share not only the intriguing characteristic of Republican appointees right. joining the liberal bloc and winning, but also that neither decision was based on the merits because both rulings rested on technical issues. The discrimination case, you know, what does the word sex mean in the act and immigration related not on whether DACA is good or bad, but on whether the Trump administration followed procedural rules in striking down uh, the DACA order. I, I assume you're okay with the court's DACA decision? Well, of course, I'm okay with the outcome, the result. I think it's a really good thing. I think the outcome uh, of the opposite would be to say that presidents get to uh, uh, undo the actions of their predecessors with no justification and throw millions, or in this case, you know, thousands of people, into a, a dangerous state of limbo. We made a promise to uh, the DACA recipients, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals recipients. We said, if you sign up and you give us your personal information, basically you let us know where you are in the country and what you're doing and, and your age and some other things about you, uh, we promise you'll be able to stay here legally. This means that if we roll that back, suddenly the government, which runs ICE, Immigration's Customs Enforcement, famously uh, unrestrained uh, organization, suddenly has personal information on a bunch of people that they want to deport because that's all the ICE does is they are a, a pit bull. They, they, they get sent after people and deports them. So that's a really dangerous place to be. You ask DACA to say, hey, DACA recipients, hey, put your trust in us. Put your information uh, in our hands. Put your lives, in many cases, in our hands. And then the next administration can walk in and, without even justifying yank that out rug out from under the DACA recipients. That's a really dangerous Let precedent to this. set. Would you be more comfortable with the um, local law enforcement folks cooperating with ICE if the, the people that ICE wanted held uh, pending deportation all had been convicted of um, 
uh, being serial killers right. overseas. All of them, 100% of them. Yeah, 100%. This um, is just, I know it's a f- strange hypothetical, but right. w- would that be make it okay for San Francisco Police Department to, instead of saying, screw you, ICE, when asked, would you please hold on to them or let us know when you're going to let them out the building? Because they, you know, they're here Ill- illegally. We want to do the deportation thing. And they did kill 85 people in Peru. 85, would you yes. be okay with that? No, because... Oh, my God. Goodness, this because is, this is going to go viral. Yeah, local law enforcement's bad enough, but federal immigration enforcement, combined with local law enforcement, have such a bad track record of mistreating people that you can't trust that amount of power in law enforcement to be handed to immigration's customs. You don't value Peruvian to, life very much because you're going you? to abuse it. I mean, this is a situation where the worry is not. Uh, that ICE is deporting too many mass murderer serial killers. Mm-hmm. That, that's not the issue. The issue is that ICE is abusing its power and position, uh, and it's part of the monopoly of, of violence that the government has on this in this in our you know our nation to uh, hurt innocent people and deport people who are abiding by the law and being productive members of society. And that's the real problem is they, you know, terrorize people. And that's what we're trying to avoid. You're not trying to avoid ICE deporting Peruvian murderers. All right. Let's uh, talk about the uh, latest microaggression that I think is the stupidest microaggression uh, ever. I feel microaggressed that you're bringing this up. Uh, You would think. Actually, it's macro. But go ahead. uh, These days, the mayor of Duluth, Minnesota, would have more important issues on her mind. Sure. Uh, things are really happening in Minnesota of grave importance. But Mayor Emily Larson of Duluth, Minnesota, seriously mm-hmm. thinks that the word chief has to go. The city should not have a police chief. It should not have a fire chief. She thinks the word is a racial epithet and it has become a microaggression. So I think, Connor, that the CEO at CNN, uh, to go overboard on uh, on the acronyms, right. uh, has to go. No more editor-in-chief at the New York Times. I think the cancel culture movement is probably going to arrange to edit the reruns of Get Smart. Now, Connor, maybe you're too young to remember Get Smart, where Maxwell Smart was a secret agent. I, I saw the remake with Steve Carell. Okay, same That's kind of good. idea. So Maxwell Smart had a catchphrase. Sorry about that, chief. So no more. No sorry more. about that, chief. Yeah, I think he done. should say sorry about that non-gender specific, non-hierarchical, soon to be removed from a position of illegitimate authority when we recreate the French Revolution person. Uh, so I'll as a progressive, my out. as a progressive, Connor, yes. are you okay with Mayor Emily's dislike of the word chief? It's not my place to be deciding as a straight white cis male uh, guy in you know, 2020, deciding what is and isn't a microaggression. Well, in, but Emily's doing it. Is, she, is it her place? I would hope that as the mayor, she's Let's assume doing she's this. just like you, except she's a gal. Right. Then she's coming from uh, an inform... If she's coming from an informed position, she respond, responding presumably to First Nations people, Native Americans, groups who are saying that this is a microaggression, that they feel aggressed against it, that we, they prefer if our society didn't use the word chief. Well, when you say she's I'm coming from an informed position, that's let's assume. Hope. Let's assume, let's hypothetically say she's 
stupid. Okay. If uh, she's stupid and she's not coming from an informed position, yeah. if she's making this so whole thing let's just thing evaluate up, what she's saying just right. sort of without considering whether she's smart or, right. or dumb. If she's coming from a bad place and has no information- and You mean like Duluth? The, mar- <laughs> the marginalized uh, uh, group in question is not saying that this is a microaggression and, and that it's important to them that it change, then it's silly and probably doesn't need to change because they are the people in the best position to say it. But if people are saying that uh, the Atlanta Braves and the Kansas City Chiefs and the Washington Redskins, apologies for using a slur on our podcast, are offensive terms that should be phased out and not used, especially in sports teams, then I'm going to freaking listen to these people. Now, did is am I making this up? Is the mayor making this up? Probably not. This is probably coming from a good place where people are now, especially in 2020, mid 2020, in the middle of you know, the biggest sort of a, a intellectual awakening about marginalized groups and their rights in several years. This is something we should be thinking about. There, I'm reading think pieces about how uh, in computer science, the fact that we refer to a computer that controls another computer or a computer that controls a different part of a computer as a master-slave relationship, it's probably not a good idea. And we've probably changed that in computer science. Does it? Do we need, you know, like you could just use any other word to mean master or slave. Should we have master bedrooms described in house floor plans in in uh, in, in real estate and, and architecture? I don't do we need a, those? I don't have a problem with that. We probably you know, don't, but comment, it comes from a place of having the master bedroom and then maybe the slave quarters. Your comment a minute ago, I, I actually didn't catch everything yeah, you said, it, but I do believe you said uh, it's silly and doesn't need to change. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that. That's all you need. I'm going to take it, that it in. and nothing yeah, else. Absolutely. Well, Connor, I think we have solved the world's problems this week. I'm like ninety percent, um, and we we just love it. Somebody you? out there, please pick it up, carry the rest of the ten yeah. percent. It's so much harder <laughs> to get the last ten percent. It's like the last mile delivery. You know, it's just that's the hardest part. We'll see you next week on Too Many Lawyers. Bye, everybody. Bye.